welcome to episode 58 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Adam Boyce. Hey buddy, thank you for having me back again. And Jonathan Sharpie. Good evening everybody. Good evening, good evening everyone. Welcome back for uh, perhaps a less um, frantic episode as uh, last time. Um, I'm very pleased to say that our last episode uh, was our first of our Fun Facts episodes here on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, I think everybody who was involved had a great time. I know I did, and I'm hoping it that... It was absolutely was... brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was a ton of fun, wasn't it, Sharpie? <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> I came last, but, you know, what can you say? You had fun. I absolutely did, yes. <laughs> Uh, and it wasn't by that much. It was very close at the end. Uh, a sort of like little arbitrary scoring system in the end. But um, yeah, uh, I do recommend that if uh, if by any chance any listeners or viewers did miss the last episode, do go check it out because uh, the fun facts episodes are a specialty, as it were, <laughs> of the narrative wargamer. So they are something we definitely like to promote. Um, but yeah, that was that was last episode. What are we talking about this episode? Uh, has anything happened this week that's worth talking about? <laughs> well, I think it's fair to say there's been a few interesting things revealed at the uh, the Nova Open, I believe it was, um, with some very interesting um, new additions to the uh, the Space Marine range in the near future and a, uh, a few other game systems as well. And, uh, yeah, I think as is... Uh, uh, remit these days we're just going to sort of have a, a little chat and talk about some of the new things because there's some really interesting stuff uh, that's coming and uh, it's been a while since we've had a you know, sort of uh, an interesting uh, reveal episode as it were to talk about new releases so uh, yeah what's what are people's highlights from the, the Nova reveals um, I mean first of all the thing that really jumped out to me was the uh, the brand new assault marines in particular? Uh, yeah, as they... a as a space wolf player, uh, I was very very happy to see some jump pack uh, assault marines. I thought um, I thought they looked like um, pretty awesome models, and the, the captain that went with it seemed to say uh, I thought was was pretty nice. So I'm looking forward to expanding uh, my range and having some some assault marines in there i yeah i, I generally thought they, they looked awesome I've, I've seen some negativity in terms of what they look like um but yeah i thought i think they look great yeah i think they look really good too um i'm very excited to get some myself uh it's it's been i don't know it's been one of the the units that i've been looking forward to seeing the most really i know we have the inceptors but they're not quite the same um it's good to just have those classic sort of Marines back, even though like as intercessors. I mean, I think it's it's really weird in a way that it's taken this long for this unit to exist. Like the Primaris Marines first came out in 2017, and it took them six years to get to the point where we actually got the you know the Primaris Marine with a jump pack. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny, isn't it? Because <laughs> I, I, all the reveals they've done in the past two or three years, everybody's always gone, ooh. Assault intercessors with jump packs and Games Workshop are basically like, you know, you thought they would have jumped on that bandwagon really, really quickly, but they seem to have like held us, held the fans off at arm's length for quite a period of time. 
but uh, I'm pleased to say that now they're here, um, I think they've done a pretty good job of them. Um, the I, I, I like the aesthetic. The jump pack, packs look different to the kind of classic sort of space marine jump packs, don't they? Uh, which gives them a, a I think a, new, a newer look. Um, I think they've done a good job. I think they have too. I mean, I think the addition of the grab fins on the jump pack is a nice little touch where it just sort of basically it gives them that slightly more modernized Space Marine look that we're used to. And I always feel that when you're talking about you know, the, the physics of how these jump packs are supposed to work and propel these, you know, multi ton, super armored, you know, human behemoths through the air. Talking about doing it with just pure, you know, jet propulsion previously is yeah. a, a a lot of uh, force that needs to be coming out of those jump packs. Where yeah. when you can add in the idea of some amount of um, grav dampening to it, I think that just helps with that idea. I think I think one of the things that I I quite liked about the. Uh, this the jump pack assault intercessors was uh there was no plastic stands that you had to to hook the one to i know there's oh, been yeah, a little actually. bit of criti- a bit of criticism about tactical rocks that they're all jumping over but uh the idea of uh having done inceptors and uh suppressors for the space wolves having to stick them on those blooming plastic flight stands <laughs> uh would drives me insane so um yeah I'm, I'm glad to see that we've got tactical launch rocks all the way through the range. I'm I all for actually, that design decision. Sorry, I hadn't actually made, made that connection, but yeah, you're absolutely right. These, I don't know why, but these plastic stands have always been a bit immersion breaking for me. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think you can ever get the models to pose no. properly either. They're never very dynamic. They always look very rigid, <laughs> sort of floating in midair. Yeah, it never quite looks right. So, so yeah, I'm glad they've decided to do that. I built myself Wait. some some tactical rocks out of uh, cork um, for my inceptors, and they just look like they're falling off it. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, it's it's a commonly done trope um, to sort of take the units that come on the flight stands and then build up some large scenic base for them to be launching from instead, isn't it? So, yeah, uh, in, a, in a way, I suppose it's nice to see that Games Workshop's just cutting that step out. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, and I suppose it wouldn't be the hardest thing in the world if you did prefer your flight stands to sort of take these guys and cut them off their uh, the tactical rocks um, and then find some sort of contact point because there probably is something that would work. Um, that or, you know, the selection of uh, 3D printed um, like exhaust fumes and stuff that oh, fly yes. all the way from yeah, the thrusters to the base. That would be something. That'll be something that will start popping up on three um, D printing um, sites and template options soon, I imagine. But yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I think how like how many chapters actually do have a not so much a reliance on the assault marines, but like how they are more battle line than other chapters. I mean, classically, you've got. You know, Blood Angels, uh, infamously known for their having their assault marines uh, more so than anything else. But then, like you mentioned, Chappie, the, the Space Wolves have always had the Blood Claws. Yeah. Or Sky Claws, even, I suppose. It is. Is it, or Swift Claws? Sky Claws? I can never remember which one's which. 
One's on a bike, yeah. one's on the jetpack, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and then the Raven Guard. I've always been a, a Raven Guard fan, and uh, yeah. again, it feels like a, uh, almost essential component of their whole aesthetic. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, they were the ones who got the very first jump pack Mar uh, Primaris Marine in the uh, Chapter Master Shrike himself. Ah, um, yes. Well, I mean, so first, as in outside of, like you say, the Inceptors and the um, Suppressors, like the yeah. the first power-armoured jump pack guy, as opposed to the whole Gravis big spacesuit things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I I was surprised to see the um, the multi-part Captain kit. I mean, I think just the fact it exists um, is a, a nice surprise when... As I said previously, we've only had Shrike and recently Dante um, sort of filling that space of a, a jump captain. Um, so, yeah, yeah seeing a, a universal kit is great. Yeah, I think it's a nice model as well. Um, I, I try, I'm trying to think on the reveal. I liked, I liked the one that was painted in the Blood Angels um, colour scheme. I thought that was a nice pose. Showed that, showed that it was quite dynamic. And um, I think all three different ones looked sufficiently different to show that you could get quite a lot of um use out of that that model um so i'm looking forward to to sticking a a bearded guy on uh, a bearded head on it uh, maybe some furs somewhere and it is, make it um, all wolfing. it is admittedly a shame that there doesn't appear to be any um any lightning claws uh, on display that yeah nice again that's just a raven guard in me um, would yeah. to see that. <laughs> but um I imagine the so the Blood Angel uh, build as it were, um the one with the power fist, I bet that would look lovely as a crimson fist. As Captain yeah. flying through the air with his big hero punch ready to land. Yeah. <laughs> with his big red fist. <laughs> but yeah, um excited to see these guys start hitting the table and uh, seeing people playing around them because I think a bunch of chapters and armies are going to be looking forward to actually having some proper assault marines to play around with and then uh, we've also got the new multi-part kit versions for the new Terminators and the Stern Guard um, which a bit like the, um, the Blade Guard before them just seems like a great kit just lots of new upgrades and options and versatility on top of what we've seen before with the uh, the comparatively mono pose ones from Leviathan. Yeah, the, yeah, they were nice kits, weren't they? They, um, I was a shame that there weren't some more salty terminators in there, but I suspect they'll be, <laughs> be on the way because they seem to have they seem to have made the decision that uh, no matter when you was made the space marine, you can uh, you can wear terminator armor now. So. Um, I suspect it's on its way, but they but they look lovely models again, don't they? And and the scale, um, I think is is pretty good. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've never really used Stern Guard in the past, but um, they they seem comparable to the ones that came in the Leviathan box set. So so yeah, more more options for Space Marine players. I mean, they were running out, weren't they? <laughs> Well, they just knocked, uh, you know, like 10 units or whatever to Legends, so the cost any 20 units. Well, well, yes, I suppose they will soon be running out if, if, uh, if, 
if you read in between the lines as to what, what they're doing here, especially seeing as we saw scouts arrive as well. Yeah, well, I was going to say that um, the scouts as well seeming like in the same way with the Terminators, there's no distinction of being like these are scouts that are destined for primarising. They're just scouts, you know, they are yeah. just the, the next generation, um, as it were. Um, interesting that the um, the scout sergeant comes with a more grizzled, sort of like aged and bearded face. Um, oh, I, giving... I don't think I noticed that. Hang on, I'll have a look. Yeah, yeah, so I'm having a look now. and Because um, obviously, in the case of like the Space Wolves, um, you want your scouts technically uh, your veterans, or one of your veteran options. Yeah. Um, Because I think yeah. traditionally you've had some you know, some characters like um, uh, Teleon and um, sort of like the Master of Recruits and so on who are more aged veteran members of the 10th Company, but not always strictly speaking like the actual members of the units um, to sort of have that more aged look to them because they are understandably younger <laughs> members of the chapter. Oh yes, I can see. Yes, but maybe there's enough head yeah. options in there to have um, a older looking squad of scouts for chapters such as the Space Wolves where they are the veterans and not the new guys yeah which would yeah, be nice for a slightly different role don't they yeah I mean obviously the other thing is you can you know head swaps work because I have to say these scouts look more in scale with their power armored equivalents than the previous scouts have, I think. Yeah. They're just they're just more like Marines in scout armor than the sort of slightly diddier versions that scouts might have been previously. Yeah, they definitely look like they're gonna fit the fit in with the army a little bit more than the old little baby ones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they look really good though. I really like what they've done. I'd I'd I've got a feeling you're not going to get uh, the option to be able to build all snipers anymore, though. It's, it's probably yeah, I was going like to say, I am. Um, I'd, I'd seen a couple of people complaining that the loadouts were going to look a bit weird, but I never really understood what they're what they're offering from the article. Is it is it going to be a mixture? Because in the past, it's been like all snipers or all shotguns, hasn't it? So yeah, or, or I, I, um, yeah, bolters, or you can have. Uh, Pistol and a knife, I think. Ah, uh, yes, the knife. I remember you could uh, have um, all snipers once upon a time, but I've got a feeling it's it's they they seem to be going down that that way of uh, you can run the unit as everything in the box sort of uh, deal, aren't they? So you have yeah. a bit of a mix. Okay. I, 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 I always you might. Sorry, Tony. Now go on. I was just going to say, you might be able to uh, buy five boxes of, of uh, scouts to uh, to get five snipers to make us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always enjoyed my um, my four man command squads in my guard army back in eighth edition uh, because I used to take command squads as a sniper squad because they could take special weapons. So I used to take all four of them with snipers because. Um, they basically were like rattlings in the sense that because they were a command squad, they were uh, ballistic skill three plus because they were guard veterans. Um, now they didn't 
infiltrate like ratlings and they didn't get um some of the like cover benefits like ratlings got but it didn't matter because they cost like half the points because the sniper rifle was only like one point or something <laughs> and, you know to give the guardsmen so it was like 40 points if that i think it might be like i think it might be 35 points at the time or something like that for like these four guardsmen with snipers and um i i always dubbed this unit the finishers because they never i never used them for like sniping purposes in terms of like trying to pick a character out or anything like that what it was was i always used to wait until something in the opponent's army inevitably got reduced down to like a single wound and just hadn't been killed by something else and then between those four snipers i'd usually um like try and roll up a single six to wound and inflict a mortal wound <laughs> and the best instance i ever had of this was i'd fired every other gun that was in range of a, a space marine um storm raven um that was in the their deployment zone and it was down to a single wound and the only thing i had left to fire at them was this squad of snipers <laughs> and i managed to land that one uh, mortal wound on the a six to wound and i just knocked this storm raven out of the sky because of r- random guardsman with a sniper rifle <laughs> it was great. nice just taking out the pilot as it's uh, limping away it's what he was trained to do exactly so personally i like having the odd little sniper here and there but it was more for the the ability to just drop a, the odd mortal wound on something that needed it rather than specifically for picking out targets <laughs> they were quite fun. I did have a, a when I first started playing uh, back in eighth. Um, when I came back to forty k, I did get a little squad of sniper scouts off eBay, and they never did anything for me, but they were just fun to have, and they always made my opponents panic, just like worrying about the snipers. And I was like, they they can't do anything. <laughs> they never do anything. <laughs> yeah, I think the best example of a sniper being used against me as well was um that was a eighth edition game um where in turn one um was it, was it eighth edition yeah because it was the space ring eliminators after they just come out um in shadow spear which was a late eighth edition release wasn't it yeah i believe yeah um it was the first time um being across the table from eliminators and they did just take out my big mech custom force field on the first turn. <laughs> because, like, other than the fact that his force field gave him, you know, like, a a minor, like, invun, because um, this was when he gave him a six-up invun and that was it, uh, his only protection was the fact that he was a character, you know, hiding amongst a horde of boys and stood behind a corkadot. Um, so when the snipers trained on him, they did just drop him. And I was like, oh, well, there goes my... Uh, force field and my repairing capabilities my god cannot but <laughs> I didn't begrudge it because it felt that was one of the few times and why I remember it is because that felt like snipers actually assassinating a key target yep. you know what, I mean? what they were in trained the to that, do yeah in the way that you imagine snipers would <laughs> yep I've run ranges a few times in my Eldar list and uh, they're, they're, they're pretty good now um, now that they've got precision shots, it's it's a different mechanic, but uh, it's quite interesting. Wait till tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, fair enough. Yes. <laughs> I don't think Rangers will be one of the units that gets uh, 
that gets looked at, to be quite honest. Um, no, no, one, yeah. no one looks at them. It's those hollow fields. <laughs> They're not there. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that as well, um, there's the, the brand new command squad, as it were, the, hero, the company of heroes. <laughs> um, so I think in this, re- in this reveal alone, have they technically revealed three new a total of three new Space Marine captains. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. when I was looking at the reveals earlier, I was like, well, I mean, not a lieutenant in sight, but three new captains. <laughs> That's a point, actually, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about the fact there wasn't a lieutenant. And in fact, why isn't there a lieutenant in the command squad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because most people have probably got two or three that they can just put in anyway. <laughs> do, do you think that'll be a leader option? In the new codex, uh, uh, primary lieutenants uh, will be able to attach to a, a company of heroes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think in order to get everybody to use all their, their lieutenants, lieutenants, whatever, they're going to create a new unit that's just going to be a, like a lieutenant squad. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't imagine this command squad will be going all the way back to the the days of fourth edition, where you could attach a chaplain, an apothecary a tech marine and a, a librarian to the command squad if you wanted. Oh, that yeah, that sounds pretty nasty. That sounds like almost unkillable. Could, could you imagine if that was actually uh, one of the composition special rules for this, uh, this unit, if it said um, this unit can have four leaders join it so long as each of those leaders is one tech marine, one chaplain, one librarian, one apothecary, um, one lieutenant. Yeah, sorry, why not just add five to it? Let's double the size of the unit with additional characters. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that would work, but I guarantee it'd be shot a lot. <laughs> it'd look cool, though. Yeah, that's when your precision would be needed, wouldn't it? Because I suppose. Apothecary. I suppose uh, one interesting question might be about, like, does the captain technically come with the squad, or is that just like being sold together? Um, and the squad is the four men, and then that's just an option for a captain to lead, for example. Oh, then it could be a could have been an apothecary or a, a chaplain or anything else. Yeah, exactly. Command squad. Yeah, that would be cool. Could it actually be that the four man squad is the squad, and there's a few different character units that have the option? Of joining it, all right, but then I mean, limited would... to one character leading it. Yeah, that would give you some versatility, wouldn't it? I suppose. I mean, because it'd be interesting to see things like um, Calga or Pedro Cantor, you know, like joining this unit. Do you know what I mean? I've been like um, the chapter master leading the first company command squad. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I have to say, when I when I saw that um, when I saw that, I mean, I thought the models were were quite nice, but I wasn't wasn't sure where it would would fit into to my Space Wolves army in terms of in terms of that. But um, yeah, I mean, if you got some versatility, I suspect that that might come in handy. I mean, I think it goes without saying that the the command squad has always been more a a vanity choice unit. It's never ever really been a, a overly um, optimized, like you know, competitive choice unit has it. <laughs> it's more for the how cool does this look 
factor, you know, and then being able to, mm. you know, see all those heroes of the chapter fighting together. I mean, I don't think I've ever played against one, so so I would suspect you you're probably right there. Yeah, I don't think I've played against one since the latest fifth edition. <laughs> so they're bringing so it back. I gotta say, it's interesting to see it sort of return to the scene. Um, I, it, it looks gorgeous, but it was genuinely something I wasn't particularly expecting to um, mm. to see re-released. Yeah, agreed. Tell you what, um, the company champion, the one with the sword, he'd look brilliant lead it as like a sergeant for Bladeguard, you know, leading that unit. Yeah, I when when I saw that box, I, I I looked at it and thought, I suspect that a lot of these models won't be used in the command squad, but they'll be used for <laughs> parts and for doing something, like you say, to sort of spice up your sergeants or create some characters in in their own rights. I suspect you'll see a lot of a lot of that from the from the models between the captain and, like you say, the champion especially. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, I could imagine, for example, the company ancient. Um, someone swapping out the banner um, for the top of a librarian staff on top of that pole that he's got. Yeah, that would look cool. I was just looking at him now. He looks amazing. I really like how they've done him. I suppose you just have to find a way of adding the psychic hood. Um, well, other than that, like he would like the cape, sort of like robe he's got. Um, that'd look quite nice as a librarian. Hmm. Yeah, um, was that? I think that was everything for the Space Marines. Um, uh, yeah. Well, no, I believe there was a Terminator chaplain, was there not? Oh yes, yes. And amongst um, the Terminators, there was the new chaplain. Which it, <laughs> it's funny how I, I feel like the Terminator chaplain is one of these uh, units that's always like talked about with a lot of nostalgia for amazing previous sculpts. Yeah. Um, yes, I know where you're going with this. There's, <laughs> there's been a bit of salt on the uh, in on the interwebs about that model, hasn't there? Well, I think he just looks a bit generic, really. I think he looks more like a, a Reaver in Terminator armor than yeah. Terminator. And I know that's because of the face mask they've obviously gone with. So presumably a head swap might make him seem more chaplain-y. Mm. Um, I also, the fact that he's got the, um, what I'm going to call the Indomitus style um, Crozius, yeah. where the wings of the Aquila are like folded down, just, it looks more like a power mole to me than mm. an actual Crozius. I always prefer the ones with like the spread wings, like the Eagle. Yeah. It's just um, not very spectacular, is he? Like, you, I, yeah, I don't. He doesn't look like a chaplain in the way that he's not striking fear into my heart and like. I, do, I just expect loads of embellishments, a big cape, mm. huge, huge power. Yeah, yeah lots of purity seals. Yeah. yeah. Did 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 I see that he can take a shield as well? Did I did I read that that yes. he could take a shield yeah. rather than his rather than a storm bolter? I imagine yeah. he will look better with the relic shield. Yeah, only, uh, they've shown us a picture of the shield itself, but not the model holding it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that will be the go-to one uh, for for a lot of people. And uh, Terminator Chaplin, 
with a shield. That sounds like a model that's probably not going to be easy to take off the table. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it will. I reckon he'll actually probably be pretty decent in game. Yeah. Um, I just, I just think he needs a full skull helm. Like it's one of the like classic parts of the chaplain aesthetic. Um, yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole reason for it is because they're supposed like some of the really zealous ones never remove their helm in like um, the presence of other like battle brothers. Right. Because the idea is it's supposed to be a little bit like um, uh, like the confessional uh, idea um, behind the faith. The idea is that the chaplain is not a person. He's a figurehead. Yeah. It's not the fact that you're not supposed to be seeing him as, you know, brother, you know, whatever his name is, you know, who happens to hold the rank of chaplain. You're supposed to be seeing him as the chaplain, you know, like the almost not faceless, but certainly more nameless yeah. authority figure of, you know, absolution of sin and fury and righteousness and all the rest of it that's meant to be um, kind of like he is the eyes and the um, authority of the emperor, you know, there on the battlefield, um, both to like inspire and also scrutinize, you know, the faith of the battle brothers under his charge. That and the fact that I think the, the grills on his chest plate just need painting in bone. <laughs> and that would make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed quite bland, didn't it, the paint job in that it's, respect? I'm sure one. Yeah, I'm sure once some of the big creators get hold of that model and they 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 build it and they they paint it, I'm sure it will look a little bit better. Um, but yeah, there was a there was definitely a lot of people who who were harking back to the previous two uh, Chaplin Terminator sculpts, which uh, which were a bit more traditional <laughs> and also spectacular. <laughs> yes, yeah, that is true. Um. Yeah, it's just something weird about the fact that they've gone to the effort of sculpting the chest plate like it's obviously um, skeletal ribs, but then they've not painted it like that. It's just painted as the black ceramite. Yeah, which makes it look, yeah, think... which makes it look more like venting, you know, like on the armor than it does the skeletal appearance. Yeah, yeah. I think I wonder if it got a little bit of negative reaction because the other Terminator character. Sculpts have all been pretty good, haven't they? They have. And I think this is maybe one of those models where, like I say, once people get it in their hands and they just do the slightest conversions of it, be it a head swap, be it a fancy hero rock, you know, a paint job where they go to town on the, the bone aesthetic, yeah. even just something as simple as having a different chapter um, shoulder yeah. uh, plate, you know, like this guy in um, Dark Angel colours as a proper ter interrogator chaplain, I think would look good. Mm. Then again, one of my favourite uh, chaplain models of years past was the um, the jump pack chaplain with Power Fist and Rosius. <laughs> the one with uh, arms outstretched. Where, oh, uh, yes. Yes. The one simply declaring, I need no gun. I have two weapons with which to hit you. Yeah. Yes. That well, crikey, that's an old old model, isn't it? It is. I say, I think that's a. I believe that was released as part of the Ikar Four campaign back in early days of Fourth Edition. 
Um, I, I think it was some, t- some point around that point in time anyway that it came out, and uh, that's one of my old, you know, classic uh, memories of a, a, a great Chaplin sculpt of years past. <laughs> well, we've jumped back into Sasses. Uh, we might be looking at one coming soon. Maybe. We've already got one on a bike. We've now got one in Terminator armor. So, yeah, maybe jump pack is the um, the next logical step for the... Uh, oh, I'd love to see that. <laughs> you know who would be good to see, actually? An Astaraf model. Yes. I yeah. mean, given that we've just had Dante relatively recently, I don't think Astaraf is on the cards anytime soon. But no. he would be a glorious jump Chaplin special character. Yeah. His old model always looked like his axe was a bit too heavy and he'd got it just behind his head and it was just he was just struggling a little bit with it. <laughs> so a good a good new sculpt for that one. Uh, I think would it would he would he cross the uh Rubicon Primaris? I feel like he would do simply because if they were ever going to do anything with Ashdraf. I feel like from the cast of characters they have, he would be the best one to do a Black Rage version of. Yeah. Like, obviously, they can't do it to Mephiston, because he's already been there, done that. Um, yeah. They're, they're not going to do it to Dante. Not really. Um, no. Nope. Just let the poor I man die. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I don't think you would end up doing it to Corbulo either. Um, and I don't think we'll ever see Captain Tycho again as a as a new sculpt. So right, yeah. if they were going to progress any of the existing Blood Angel characters to uh, suffering from the Black Rage, I think um, Ashraf would be a good option. Um, I mean, you do obviously also have Lamartis. Lamartis is the one, yeah. Yeah, like he's already a, a sort of he's fallen to the Black Rage but his whole weird deal is the fact that he still maintains some kind of lucidity and he's he's half aware of what he's doing um, but I think seeing Ashtaraf as sort of being full on Black Rage would be a, a good I th- I'd like to see the sculpt of it as well do you know what I mean? Like seeing his model yeah. transformed into his Death Company version because um, for all we know um, if they did progress the story in such a way that they wanted to do something interesting with it, they, they've they set the precedent with Mephiston that someone can overcome the Black Rage. It's incredibly rare, yep. incredibly difficult, and obviously only one person that we know of has done it previously. Potentially, Lamartes could be another candidate for someone who's been fighting it and living with it for that long that he eventually fights through it and perhaps he regains his composure and his sanity again and he becomes the new high chaplain when Ashtaraf falls to the Black Ridge. Yep. Which could be interesting to see. But in either case... It would be an option for a nice jump <laughs> chaplain. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see it. Alright, well, speaking of things we'd like to see, what else did we get in the, the reveals that um, piqued anyone's interest? Well, I'm a very, very big Dreadnought fan for my Space Wolves. 
So I <laughs> really, really like that Derrideo model. I thought it looked awesome. So I suspect uh, there might be one winging, winging its way uh, into the uh, into the shopping basket at some point in the future. Um, it's 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 funny because it's it's a dreadnought type that I've never really sort of been drawn into in the past. I've not I've never thought much to it. But then that when they did that reveal of that model, I thought it looked absolutely awesome. So I know I know it's not going to be uh, um, going to have any rules in for, you know mainstream 40k, but uh, uh, I just think uh, to add it to the collection would be great. I mean, it does look very nice, um, and I could imagine it would look good in Space Wolf colors. Yeah, it's my uh, it's one of my ambitions to have nearly a full Space Space Wolf Dreadnought army one day um <laughs> i've i've still got to pick up the two uh the two new primaris dreadnoughts that have been released recently but um but yes i've got i've got a few other dreadnoughts now so so that i think that would be a an awesome one to add to the collection i don't i don't suppose you could like use the derrideo as a stand-in for the ballistas could you because it doesn't it's got the missile racks, I suppose, on top, but you'd have to yeah. do something to replace the last yeah. cannon, or find the last yeah. cannon equivalents. That's true. No, but I, 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 I think it looks awesome. So, so I mean, I've not really been that piqued by um, the Horus Heresy game in its in its own right, but they do seem to be releasing some very, very nice models. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's fair to say that. You know, the Horus Heresy range has been expanding in a pretty great way in terms of like you know the models and what there is available and all the rest of it. And I think clearly this is all becoming a part now of the Age of Darkness becoming a lot more of its own distinct game system. Was it that was it last week that they revealed the the Fulgrim model? It was, yes. So yeah, as part now, of Now I'd be interested to know how you system. feel about that. Because <laughs> because my my feeling on the matter is like we've had three pretty awesome um, Primark models for Chaos for the for the um, in forty k where they've surprised us with the way that uh, that the sort of demon hood has taken over them and I, I wonder whether putting it into into Horus Heresy before 40k might take some of the impact away from what that, that Fulgrim model may look like in 40k moving <laughs> forward. It seemed like a very strange decision from um, Games Workshop's point of view to release it in 30k first when we know that it's probably, I'm not, oh, I say probably, pretty much certainly going to appear in 40k at some point in the future. Well, my suspicion is that this Fulgrim model being uh, right, so my suspicion is that the decision to make and produce the Horus Heresy Ascended Primarchs series, so sort of when they probably originally started working on Horus Ascendant, they probably at that point decided that they knew that the Emperor's Children Codex for 40k would probably be down the line maybe 12 to 18 months down the production line at the time. 
um, that they yeah. made the decision to do Fulgrim, or they were, when they were asking the question of who do we do after Horace? Like, when we do Horace first, who do we do next? I reckon they've picked Fulgrim so that he's come out and hit, you know, tabletops, as it were, 18 to 24 months ahead of the 40k range for the Emperor's Children. Because that would give time for people to have the option to buy this who just want a Fulgrim model. Yeah. And then uh, people can get it out of the system, can enjoy having it, and then can pay again to buy it a second time when they release a plastic one for 40k two years down the line. Um, That's but, how the games work. <laughs> but because I think the reverse wouldn't have been as good for them if there was a 40k Fulgrim Demon Prince model. Mm. People wouldn't be as interested in picking up the Fulgrim Ascended model um, when yeah, okay. it came down the line. Because maybe a lot of Heresy players, the Emperor's Children ones, would have just already had a model for Fulgrim because they would have bought the 40k one to use as their Ascended yeah. Fulgrim. Um, because the interesting point with the Ascended Primarchs is the fact that in the Horus Heris, in the, like the Siege of Terror novels, the artwork and the general descriptions and even things like the cover work of uh, like the book covers of Mortarion and Angron, they look like the 40k models. Mm. Even though it's the 30k setting and it's the Siege of Terror, like Mortarion on the cover of Warhawk looks exactly like the yes. Mortarion model we have in 40k. Same with Angron. Like the artwork of Sanguinius um, fighting him at the Eternity Gate and ripping the butcher's nails out of his head. It is literally the corn, uh, it's the Angron Primarch uh, model we now have in 40k. Hmm. So it's interesting that this is this ascended Fulgrim because does that mean that there's going to be some direct design cues for a 40k version of him in plastic in the future is it literally going to be the same sort of model i.e is he going to have um the same spear in one hand the same um levered glove on his other hand you know is he going to have the same uh, type of segmented armor around his waist above the you know certain yeah. type body now he might be posed entirely differently and i have an odd feeling that when we see fulgrim he is going to have the most eccentric and elaborate hero rock we have ever seen. Yes. <laughs> like, around it. Yeah, now obviously this one um, is also coiled around some like fallen masonry that you know he's kind of, but I imagine this will be more like I'm thinking one of these almost like diorama style characters that we've seen in recent years. You know, he's not going to be an Angron who his whole deal is just, it's Angron. That's the centerpiece of the model. You know, there's an argument that with Magnus's model, like a lot of the centerpiece of him is um, the wings, um, the hair, you know, the, um, like the, the armor, you know, the point of being the chest plate or no chest plate, stuff like that. Um, Mortarian, it's all the the smoky robes and the um, the big scythe and lantern. You know, like there's there's obvious key points of each model that you think like that's the the, the really fancy focal point of those models. 
<laughs> but Fulgrim is going to be all focal points. Yes. <laughs> there, there will be no part of him that will not be spectacular and fancy and like trying to show itself off in some way, and that will include his base. Because <laughs> so far, when I say when you, when you think about the plastic forty k kits, neither Mortarian, Angron, or Magnus have anything particularly fancy about their base. No, it's quite plain, because isn't it? They are really because the the thing that's drawn the eye is meant to be the Primarchs themselves. Yeah. Fulgrim, I think, is going to be the thing that's um, significant about him, in addition to everything else about him, will be his base. Now, obviously, that will partly be because, presumably, he's going to have a serpentine body, which his brothers don't. You know, Whether they might have double-jointed legs or not, they still ultimately have two legs, whether on the ground or not. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm really curious to see um, what they do with the 40k version now, because this 30k version does look fantastic it looks gorgeous like as a model and as a sculpt it is great it is the epitome of everything that everyone has ever imagined doing with a keeper of secrets and marathi (laughs) yes oh absolutely but done by the actual sculptors you know and produced by games workshop and has obviously all the hallmarks and appearance and the aesthetics of fulgrim you know so he's still got the the curved um, e- clawed eagle wing on one shoulder. You know he's he's mm. wielding the the weapons that he's known for wielding in the books. He's got the the bat wings, you know, as well as the snake body. All, all the, the the four arms, the horns coming out of his hair, and everything else that's ever been sort of portrayed in any artwork of him as a demon. It's all there. It's everything you expect to see, and it's done spectacularly. Mm. But that's why. I think there's going to have to be something about the 40k model for him that is unexpected. Something we haven't anticipated that's going to be spectacular. Or I'm completely wrong and they'll just recast him <laughs> in plastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think they'll do that. Um but I, think, I mean, yeah, I could I, just... I could imagine the the marketing video for it, like the trailer would just be how do you improve on perfection? You make it in plastic. Yeah, <laughs> and, that, and it's just the exact same sculpt. <laughs> Some people wouldn't complain, I suppose. Yeah, I was just interested to, to, to know how you felt because it felt like they were give, perhaps giving away something a little bit by bringing him out in 30k first. But mm. I suspect, you know, we've got to have faith in Games Workshop to. To, to produce something, they're pretty good. I have to say those um, those ascend ascending uh, Primark ascending ascending models are are absolutely superb, aren't they? They they got it so right with with Horus, and they've done a pretty good job with Fulgrim now. So it'd be quite interesting to see how they uh, they carry on that range. I mean, that said, the reverse of everything I've just sort of said about Fulgrim is true of particularly Mortarion and Angron, is that if all the artwork of them in the Siege is just their 40k personas currently, what are they going to do with the Ascended models for them that isn't just going to be another pose variant of the 40k model in resin? Yeah. We're going to have to do something if they want people to buy it. Yeah. (laughs) Which they will want people to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) 
maybe um maybe Angron will come with a scenic base where he's like doing the um the hero landing, smashing into the ground on top of a bunch of custodies or something like that. Ah, oh, yes. Scattered in all directions. Yeah, sort of like taken straight from the cover of a like Saturnine sort of thing. But yeah. No, I I I have to say, like Fulgrim is a gorgeous model, and I think like a lot of people, when you saw the little snippet or the thumbnail on the reveals, my first instinct was, Oh my god, have they announced the Emperor's Children Codex before it came? Yeah. <laughs> and then for it to be like, no, it's just this one character model for the Horus Heresy. It, it unfortunately, I do think, did rob it a little bit of the excitement about what it represented, but it doesn't detract from like how gorgeous the model is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then really, for me personally, there was one other thing that um, was a reveal that I was actually really um, surprised and excited to see, and of all things, that was the uh, the vampire team for Blood Bowl. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Yes, I um, I thought it was awesome. I played um, I played with an undead team back in the day, um, so I thought uh, it it looked cool. I, I like the idea that the linemen were thralls. Thralls is that what they said it was? I think it was that, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I particularly am a fan of this uh, this kit, and I will probably be getting it um, myself because vampires were actually one of my teams of choice back in the day um right and they they were so much fun um to play at least i found like they were they were one of these <laughs> in very typical me style they were one of these um oddball teams you know where they played um a very unique and different style to sort of like almost any other team in the game um and were they I don't want to say that they were like necessarily like a high skill game you know, team to have to you know play with, but because they didn't play a little bit like everything else, they definitely you know you need to, to have a little practice with them, have your hand in with them, to sort of get the most out of them. Um, but the reason for that was because in terms of team structure, they were the simplest team in the game because all they had was two positions: they had either a frau or a vampire. <laughs> Right. That was it. There was no thrower, catcher, blitzer, you know, or anything else like that. And essentially, a Fral, um, as I, I don't know exactly what their rules are going to be, but like what they were in the previous editions of the game, a Fral was just a human lineman, except they had yeah. less armor because they, they weren't as armored as the human team lineman equivalent. Yeah. Which is evident from the fact that these guys are basically just wearing, you know, gothic horror night um, shirts or something, yeah, they? puffy <laughs> sleeve coats and stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, part of the reason for that is because the vampires have to feed on them throughout the game. Oh. Now, um, so basically, the the drawback with vampires mechanically. It, um, is that they have a rule called bloodlust, which basically means any time they attempt to do anything, um, you have to roll a dice. And on a two plus, they're fine and can just do whatever they want and behave normally. And on a one, they suffer from their bloodlust, which means that whatever they do in their turn, like in their activation, they have to end it 
um, adjacent to one of their frals, um and then bite them. <laughs> Um, which would basically involve rolling an injury for your own player Um, but if you didn't end your action um, adjacent to a Fral then your vampire would faint at the end of his action because it it would effectively leave play because either it would faint or it would run off into the crowd you know to like go jump on someone in the crowd (laughs) Um, (laughs) so when you consider that um, a team has typically 11 players on the pitch and can have like between 11 to 16 players on the roster, but you are limited to a total of six vampires. Basically, your team is running off the sort of like four to five vampires that you might have on the pitch. So yeah. every turn, there's a good chance that one of your vampires is probably going to feel its bloodlust roll at some point. So you are quite often going to be you know, jumping on your own players. So that in itself is a big disadvantage. You know, like that's a big hurdle that's, that's sort of like a handicap for your team. But the reason why it was such a hurdle is because the vampires themselves, like a single vampire was basically the best all-round player in Blood Bowl outside of star players. Yeah. Because typically, um, most Blood Bowl players fall into one of two categories. They're either a punchy player or an agility player. Yes. Um, or they fall somewhere in the middle where they're kind of not terrible at either, but not great at either. And that's because they're your, your body blockers, you know, your people in the way and your linesmen and all the rest of it. Or they might be that they're not particularly one or the other, but they have a skill. So the skill is their thing. Yeah. Well, for context, like um, a human is strength free. A black orc is like strength four, and then things like trolls and tree men are strength five. Well, a vampire is strength five. Yeah. <laughs> so they're as strong, they are, they're strong and punch as hard as like a troll or a minotaur. Um, oh, it does sound of, like a really fun game. <laughs> yeah, like in terms of agility, a standard human um, or like a, a standard orc might be like agility four plus. Um, something like a Skaven um, might be free plus, and then things like elves or like gutter runners, you know, um, that's all like really fast agile Skaven. They're all like agility two plus. And guess what agility a vampire is? <laughs> is it two? It's two plus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> then, um, whereas like the runners and the Skaven and the elves will typically only be like strength three or strength two. You know, that there they don't have the strength, but they have the agility. So the fact that the vampires are both uh, strong and agile and fast, because <laughs> again, like a, a human might be like uh, movement uh, five or six, a dwarf can be like movement four, and then like a gutter runner is like movement seven. Or eight. Well, a vampire typically is like moving seven. So they're, they're fast, they're strong, they're agile, they do everything. But that's why there's only like four or five of them on the pitch at best. And half the time, there's a risk that they're eating your own team while you play. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds like chaos. No, that would be the chaos team. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so. I'm looking forward to picking these guys up. And I say all that, especially because since the initial reveal has been like one or two follow-up articles showing off the star players and, and stuff and a bit more information about the, the vampire team. And it turns out 
they are in fact adding some more sort of diverse roles in the team. So apparently there are going to be some actual positionals. So I don't know how much is going to change about the fundamentals, but they still have bloodlust. But they're going to actually have things like a vampire runners or throwers or blitzers or catchers in some shape All or right. form. So I'd be interested to see how and what they do with them to balance it and uh, what new handicaps get added for probably the thralls, those poor, poor thralls. Hmm. Um, and they've got, they've actually for the first time ever got a team big guy. So whereas most teams have the option of like one big brutish monster, be it your Minotaur, your Ratoga, your um, Troll, apparently the uh, the vampire team is getting a Vargeist. So they're getting the sort of like feral, you know, half bat vampire. All oh, right, yeah. Um, who is it? <laughs> uh, they mentioned in the um, the article about it that he comes with like frenzy, which is basically like the ability to like attack twice. Um, but he he has a bloodlust role of only three plus, so he's more likely to fail his bloodlust. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see what they actually do with the um, the vampire blood bowl team because I think I'll definitely be picking up a copy of it when I can get hold of it. Because they are one of my old favourites from uh, Blood Bowl of Years Gone. Um, but yeah, I think I think that was about everything of note from Nova Open. There was obviously some new some new Iron Jaws getting released as well, which might have some conversion opportunities for various Orc players who want bare chested Orcs smashing things with big clubs. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big troll, I think, or something, wasn't there? Some some big model for the destruction. Yeah, it? some uh, troll king who's uh, yeah. got like a, his crown is um, it's like a shattered um, runic uh, wheel of magic circle that has like all the eight yeah. winds of magic as part of it. So presumably that's some magical artifact that's bolted to his brain, giving him some weird powers. Yeah. Um, did they? Um, did they? Was it at the Nova that they mentioned the Space Marine Codex? Yeah, so there was mention of the Space Marine Codex. Um, I didn't specifically read the article, but um, they gave a, a few little bits of insight. Like apparently, there's um, a total of seven new detach, well, a total of seven detachments, I think, in the Space yeah. Marine Codex. Um, whenever it's presumably due sometime in the near future. Which I have to say, by the way, I'm surprised. There was some part of my brain that just assumed they were going to do a joint release like they did in 9th edition, and I would have assumed that Codex Tyranids and Codex Space Marines would have landed on the same day like they did with Space Marines yeah. and Necrons in 9th. Because I think this must be... It's the first time I ever remember um, a edition where the first Codex released wasn't a Space Marine Codex. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, I would totally agree. <laughs> I was surprised it wasn't out first. Like, I wonder whether or not this is still some slight, um, like, little leftover prize for them supposedly winning the uh, the global campaign for the Tyranids winning that is, and that's why oh. they got the codex first. Now, they said when they first announced that global campaign that whichever faction did win they would reveal the new models for that faction first. So yeah. I can only assume that if the Space Marines had won that campaign, 
what we would have just seen at Nova was all the Tyranid models being shown off. Yeah. And we would have seen the Space Marine ones back when we first saw the new Tyranid models. So maybe if the Space Marines had won the campaign, it would have been the Space Marine Codex that would have been on pre-order this weekend. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just just interesting. But um, they've say I think they've said that there's seven um, detachments in the Space Marine Codex, which includes the um, Strike Force one, whatever it's called at the moment, with the uh, combat doctrines, and then there'll be sort of like six new ones. Um, which, although we haven't got it in hand yet, we obviously have started to see now information being sort of presented to the public about. Codex Tyranids, uh, and we've had a, a breakdown by various sort of like content creators about the contents of the book and a couple of battle reports now for people to watch on YouTube and so on. And um, from what I've seen, I'm quite pleased um, with what we've seen and heard so far because it sounds like we're kind of getting everything that we hoped we would be getting and nothing too drastic or different from that in a good way. Um, I believe, was it you, Sharpie, that we were talking to on a previous episode where we sort of imagined that it would likely be there wouldn't be a huge number of changes to the actual data cards and the units themselves? Yeah, that, 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 that was my hope. My hope was that uh, they didn't change a lot a lot of the, the data cards um, and that the, code, the codexes were just going to be um, different ways to play your army um, to obviously... In terms of what your models, what your favourite models are, uh, and it seems like from what I've what I've seen over the, over the weekend and in, at the start of this week that 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 does seem to be the case in in most parts. I've not heard of a great deal of many tweaks to the way units are working. Uh, I know that there's a few couple of new models. I suspect they might get a couple some rules um, because of the new models, but I, everything else seems fairly similar. And uh, the flavor of the codex seems to be in in what they're offering people in terms of how they can play their army. Um, so yeah, I mean I've I've seen that there's obviously like a crusher stampede um, detachment, isn't there? And is it like an endless swarm detachment, depending on how you like here? Um, you can bring yeah. one with with all your lictors and sort of your vanguard sort of tyranids, which I think is great. Um, and and I like the the idea that that you know there may very well be thirty six tyranid stratagems, but but you're only ever going to be able to use six of them, okay? And they will they will fit into what your what your strategy for your army is. There's no you're not going to sit there um, two hours after you've played a game and think ah. Oh, I could have used that stratagem at that point in time, but I totally forgot it was there because there's 97 stratagems in my book, and yeah. I was too busy re doing rerolls. That would have been Across really three good. Books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I no, I I think it looks. I'm I'm up, cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic. Yeah. yeah. I agree with your sort of sentiments there. I think I'm really looking forward to seeing how all of the different armies sort of come out and what sort of detachment rules they're going to have. But yeah, I like I like that you've got a sort of a condensed list of relevant stratagems to use 
um, and the yeah, like the the fact that they've got different ways to play, like the the Crusher Stampede and stuff for the the Nids, it's just going to be interesting to see what they come out with for other armies. I've I've been interested to see the the way in which they've implemented it in the books. So yes, obviously you've got these like you know six different detachments in the case of the Tyranids, and each one comes with its own six um, stratagems and four enhancements. And I assume there'll be some small amount of crossover in the stratagems. So, like, for example, in the case of the Space Marine ones, I would assume that probably all the detachments, one of their stratagems is going to be the Armour of Contempt. That sort of thing where it's like, that's a fundamental thing of Space Marines in this edition. So, like, the other five element, the other five stratagems might be more towards the theme of the detachment but like all of them will always have access to armor of contempt and it'll be the same obviously across all the detachments which will be a nice way of just remembering that as a a player be it you know the opponent or player of the space marines you just know that that's always there Hmm. and i assume there might be a similar one for the tyranids that might might not necessarily because all of them but maybe there's one to do with synapse that's commonplace against me across maybe four of the detachments for example i don't know um, but it's what the other thing that's really interesting about it and the way that they're differentiating which units work particularly well in the certain detachments is using the keyword system so um, for example you mentioned the, uh, the endless hordes um, detachment it sounds like it has a number of stratagems and I think even one or two of the detachment rules which state um, you can use this ability or this effect um, comes into play on endless multitude units so units that have that endless multitude keyword so that would be like termagons, homagons, neurogons for example so it's not like they're having to list in the detachment rules these 10 units gain these benefits and these 20 don't <laughs> if that makes sense yeah. not saying like gene stealer units uh it, like gene stealer units lick to units neurophrobe units von ryan leaper units for death leaper xyz's in a vanguard detachment gain these abilities they just say vanguard assault keyword units get this um and then what's nice about that is it means that if you're using the other detachments, those keywords just don't come into play. You know, if yeah. you're doing Crusher Stampede, you can still include a unit of Termagants if you want them for something, but the fact they have the Endless Multitudes keyword doesn't mean anything because as part of the Crusher Stampede, you have nothing that interacts with it. Yeah, I definitely think that's a, a good way to do it. Um... Hopefully that'll be uh, something they utilise throughout. Well, I'm sure it is. It's going to be something they utilise throughout all of the codexes uh, quite well. Uh, I mean, I wonder if, for example, that might be how they do some stuff um, with the space marine detachments. So, for example, the space wolves. Every space wolf unique unit might have, like a, I don't know, sons of Russ. Or something so things like 
um, Thunderwolf Cavalry, Wolf and um, Skyclaws, Bloodclaws, Grey Hunters, whatever. Like, so the detachment rule would say any Sons of Rust units gain XYZ benefits. So you could take the detachment and get the bonuses on those units specifically, but things like your Devastators. Um, I mean, I suppose Longfangs would probably have the keywords you'd use Longfangs in that case, but mm-hmm. you know, things like your Eradicators wouldn't specifically get a benefit from that particular detachment because um, mm. it's meant to be the the Space Wolf themed one. Well, maybe that detachment just unlocks that keyword for you to be able to use these, and then if you've got Longfangs, they're just Devastators in a different detachment. Yes, actually, potentially. No, I've been avoiding it. When you, when you, yeah, when you use the specific Space Wolf detachment, it turns them into long fangs and gives them special bonuses. But yeah, it, it seems it seems nice to know that if the sort of trend of the Tyranny Codex is anything to go by, there's not going to be drastic changes to how your units in your army plays when your codex lands the main thing is going to be the detachment rules that are going to change up the way that you might play with your army um, in any given way yeah it sounds like there's been quite minimal changes to the units so far so hopefully that stays I also think it's going to be interesting to see how they implement it for certain armies where there's previously been perhaps more limited archetypes to those armies like for example with the Tau I'd be interested to see how many detachments they get because based on sort of everything from 8th edition onwards they've only ever really had either the Kai Yun or Montekai like teachings as their main archetypes mm. so surely their the codex is not going to have just two detachments they must presume it'll presumably have, I'd guess, at least four as a minimum. I suppose one of them could be the the Farsight detachment yeah. without without yeah. being the Montcar one. I'm trying to think what they did in in their 8th and 9th Codex. Did, did they do it for different races of Tau? I mean, they had um, they had sept rules, so you had things like the Barkan septs, the Tau sept, yeah. stuff like that. But their like army rule was always the either um, the Kayun or Montcar like combat doctrine, yeah. effectively. And I'd be curious to see what they do beyond that, because they might, for example, include a detachment that's more about the alien auxiliaries. So it'd be like crew to units uh, will gain this benefit, or um, like Tau units will gain this special rule and ability when they are near or supporting, you know, like crew units, for example, or Vespid, mm. um, yeah. and so on. But for all we know, they might even get a new race. I wouldn't put it past them at the moment because no. if if most armies get a small model range re- uh, release. In like two or three new units, um, then I could see the Tau, for example, getting another lone alien unit like the Vespid, 
they might not get quite as an extensive one as say the crew to units but it could be like here here's this other you know just third alien unit that you can now play with that'd be cool got me thinking now what's going to happen with uh, my armies <laughs> yeah I mean I, I'm like that with mine I, I can only assume that my draw the, the orc one will be pretty straightforward there'll be here are the six archetypes that are the main clans yeah yours are quite easy to sort of break down into different army styles it's a bit similar to space marines I guess in a way you've got the fast ones and the sneaky ones yeah you'll literally have like Here's the uh, the sneaky ones, which basically represents blood axe style clans. Here's the um, here's the fast unit. Here's the fast detachment, which is the speed war. Here's the. Uh, I I honestly suspect you'll, based on the conventions of the the existing detachment, you've got war tribe. You'll probably then get speed war tribe. You'll probably then get dread war tribe, which would be all the like the gorgonauts and killercans and dreadnoughts and stuff. Yeah, I would love to get a DACA tribe. Like, where all it has to be is instead of sustained hits on melee attacks, you get sustained hits on range attacks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, um, that, that's that's four right there. And that's without going into the specifics of, like, here's a lucky clan that's like the Death Skulls. Here's a freebooter one. You know, here's a, a bad moon one. You know? Um, I, I imagine they'll be based on probably the archetypes of the clans even if they don't specifically say this is the snake bite one because it's all about squeaks yeah yeah there'll, there'll be there'll be a beast war tribe they'll probably just be like all the bonuses are for the beast nagger units the one that i genuinely remain curious about is chaos demons yeah it's yeah i mean i won't say i was worried but you you kind of get the feeling that uh there's the current detachment, and then the next four will be uh, single god detachments, and yeah. are they going to be able it. to round it out with something different? Yeah, I, I say I think your your six for for chaos demons will be the existing generic demon one, your four god dedicated ones, and your Belakor one, your disciples. Of oh right, yes, um, and. It just comes down to a question of are they literally going to be god dedicated in the terms of um, you can technically take any um, chaos demons in this detachment but all the stratagems, all the enhancements and all the army rule bonuses only affect corn demon units. Yeah. You know, for example. Um, or is it just going to be that they'll have a detachment that is for this is for the magical shooting demons. This is for the super fast combat ones. This is for the slow but tough ones. You know, and they won't say Zinch, Sanesh, Nurgle demons, but the rules will just obviously heavily imply that those are the units to get the bonuses. Yeah. That might be the better way, but I've, I feel like it's going to be god-specific for some reason. Or maybe you'll get, like... If you've got six stratagems, maybe two of them will be generic enough that it can be used across any demons, and then the other four or three maybe can be specific I mean, to to Nurgle demons, maybe like. Yeah, I mean, like I do think that the 
the default um, that we've got at the moment, the like warped engines or whatever it's called. Um, that one I think does do a really good job of being a universal, undivided Chaos Demon detachment. But because I actually think that one does that really well, I can't help but feel that despite having this caveat of it doesn't matter what you know sub faction your units are because the detachments for all the armies now are going to be universal to that faction i just can't see how they can break away from that and keep that promise for demons i feel like it is going to have to be here's your god specific detachments yeah and to be fair it's probably what most demon players want maybe yeah, I speak as a, as a non-demon player, but if I had an uh, if I had a, a an army that was just corn, I would probably want a, a a detachment that boosted that to the max. I do think it is the great irony of uh, Chaos Demon players and their collections that they are divided into two camps. <laughs> Yeah. those that are pretty sort of like eclectic and uh, like to have their sort of fully mixed undivided collections featuring most of if not all of the gods and those who are just there for their one particular patron there for the blood yeah <laughs> and I think there should be you know a nice option for both uh, and I admittedly yeah. I'm in that weird position where I don't quite know what I want because I feel like I could enjoy it whichever way they go with it, but I also feel like I could be disappointed by whichever way they go with it. And uh, yeah. I'm not quite sure where I'm going to settle on it until we learn more. And it's going to be over a, a year's time out anyway, because Chaos Demons are not on the uh, the initial roadmap for the Codex releases anyway. Yeah. Well, we've got plenty of time to get it right then. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> or an afterthought. <laughs> Well, with that, um, that's been a nice little chat about all things that we had revealed at Nova. Nice little chat about um, the sort of the general gist of the, Cha uh, the Chaos Codex. No, not the Chaos Codex, the Tyranid Codex. Which, um, one point worth mentioning, um, we've not covered. Uh, there are Crusade rules in the Tyranid Codex. Uh, like we know that to be the case now, and it was hoped and assumed that there will be some kind of crusade rules coming forward in the 10th edition so uh, hopefully maybe in our next episode we might have Dan on to uh, finally do his long awaited Tyranids on Crusade episode since he's, he's been waiting a whole edition now to do it <laughs> at this point <laughs> yes so yeah um, let's see hopefully that might be what we get up to um, on the next episode and it'll be interesting once we get it in hand to see just how involved the crusade rules are um, going forward um, hopefully maybe I get something a little more than scrap points this time when it comes to the orcs yeah you be interesting. scrap points I think I heard somewhere that you can uh, continue an existing crusade so it'd be interesting to see how they link that in uh, they did do a walk-on article the other month about sort of like how to like you know, take a, a 9th edition crusade force and adopt it to be a 10th edition one so I'll better go and have a look um, but uh, I think with that we're probably going to have to wrap things up because uh, my dogs aren't letting out because they're getting fussy because it's, uh, it's nearly bedtime for them so before we go where can people find you guys online uh, you can find me at boise40k on instagram 
Yep, I'm on Instagram too. It's j.sharp0608. And as always, I am at Narrative Wargamer. You can find me on Instagram. And uh, we do also have a Facebook group and a Discord. And uh, as always, you can find details below for our affiliate links development games. Um, do give us a like and subscribe. It really helps the channel. Don't forget to hit the notification bell. But yeah, uh, thank you both for uh, coming on tonight. I mean, it's been a nice, uh, more sort of uh, just low-key chat tonight. And I think it's been nice after uh, the, the fun facts excitement of last time. <laughs> Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thank you, Tony. Nice to speak to you both. Yeah, uh, it's been lovely. I hope people have uh, enjoyed listening and uh, just hearing us just chat about hobby and uh, all things Games Workshop. So, I say next time we might have some uh, on Crusade content with the Tyranids and uh, some exciting things coming up in the near future. We might have a few guests lined up for some special episodes. So, uh, yeah, keep. Keep your eyes peeled for everything here on YouTube and on your podcast platforms of choice. And until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40k. Bye.